0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Coming up on today's show, in the 7 o'clock hour, Adam Bittner of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette will jump on the Rush line and talk some hockey after uh, last week's Black Wednesday in Pittsburgh with the Penguins and Robert Morris University. The Wizards stay alive for at least one more game. And another fan loses his mind at an NBA game. Uh, could the Orioles finally snap their losing streak? I, no. Could the Nationals snap their? No. Could the Pir- Pirates don't even have a losing streak, do they? I just I automatically assume they do. <laughs> but it did lose last night. So we'll recap all that stuff and much more uh, in the next two hours of today's show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad I know how you are coming off a long weekend. You're just like me, so I probably shouldn't ask. So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another Essential Work Day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush. Uh, My page at Rush Tony C. Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All those pages free and open to the public. Like them. Follow them. Anytime you feel froggy, take the leap. Drop me a line. Got a question, comment, opinion. Want to bring uh, something up? Want to talk about a certain topic? Feel free. And we'll do some serious sports jawboning via the interwebs. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301 759 2628. Your chance to dial and dance, shamo. 301 759 2628. And of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. Where we upload every show every day, minus commercials. So you can go back and check out anything that you may have missed. Any show ever. Well, except for one. (laughs) There's one show missing uh, due to uh, technical difficulties uh, way back when. Anyway, all of those opportunities to get involved on the show in the next two hours. So uh, feel free to do so. Let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show of The Rock Around the Region. And we start in the NBA playoffs where the Wizards were trying to keep their season alive for at least one more game against the 76ers.
2: Beal cuts to his left, driving around Simmons, hangs in the air, in the right corner, Hachimura for three, it's there,
0: it is there, it is there, and the Wizards might just be there.
1: A two-possession game, they lead by six with 40 seconds left. The call on Federal News Radio, 122-114, the final Wizards win to send the series back to Philly. Of course, they're still down three games to one. Russell Westbrook recorded his 12th career playoff triple dub. 19 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists. Bradley Beal had 27 points. Game five will be tomorrow night back in Philly. In Major League Baseball, the Orioles hosted Minnesota yesterday trying to snap their 13-game losing streak.
0: They did not. And a high fly deep to right field. Santander back, and it's gone! Polanco with his fifth of the year, and the lead
1: in the 10th is two. The call on Bally Sports North. Twins score two runs in the top of the 10th, and then hold off the O's for a 3-2 win. DJ Stewart... Had an RBI single in the bottom of the 10th to make it 3-2, but he was eventually stranded at third as the tying run. Baltimore has lost 23 of its last, I'm sorry, 21 of its last 23 games and is now a major league worst 17 and 37. Elsewhere, the Nationals hosted the Braves trying to snap uh, their four-game losing streak. Uh, they did not.
0: The pitch is lined softly the left center field. That's down for a hit. Score two, and Almonte all the way around to third, a two-run single on an 0-2 count, and the Braves lead it three to nothing.
1: The call on Bally Sports South: Atlanta scored three runs in the first inning off Joe Ross and went on to win the game, five to three. Ronald Acuna Jr. hit his major league tying 16th homer of the season for the Braves. Josh Bell a two-run homer for Washington. And the Royals and Pirates kicked off a mini two-game series in Kansas City last night.
0: Oh boy. Yeah, that was hit pretty well. Breaking ball drilled to right. And this one is gone. Alberto Mondesi hits a two-run homer off Dwayne Underwood Jr. and gives the Royals a 5-2 lead in the fifth.
1: The call on the Pirates radio network 7-3 the final. KC gets the win. Royals have won 10 of 16 to get back to the 500 mark after an 11-game losing streak dropped them four games under the 500 mark. Uh, Brian Reynolds homeward and drove in two runs for the Pirates. And in high school basketball, the roster has been announced for the 2021 North-South All-Star Classic in Charleston. Pendleton County's Josh Alt and Bailey Thompson both were named to the North squad. Uh, Pendleton head coach Ryan Lambert will serve as a coach on the North team. And that is uh, your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Rally Group. All right. Uh, A lot to get to today. Busy week. I'm going to be honest with you. Can I be honest for a second? Can I tell you the truth? Can I throw it out there? I didn't pay attention hardly at all to anything that happened this past weekend when it comes to sports. I don't remember watching much. I don't remember keeping up on much. It was a busy weekend, not only because it was a Memorial Day weekend. It's because my son graduated on Sunday. And it was was busy. It was a busy weekend. That, of course, as you can imagine, trumped everything. Had family come into town. You know what it's like when you got to host Family, right? It's hectic, it's busy, it's scattered. And from the moment that uh, my brother came into town, what was it, Friday? Until yesterday when everybody left, it was just one of those weekends. It was a great, great weekend, fun weekend, emotional weekend. So I, I did my best. Of course, I paid attention to scores and who won and, this that and whatever, but for the most part, I was just enjoying time with the family. So sports was off the radar, and I've said this before in this show. Like some people treat sports life and death, it really isn't. There are so many more important things in life, and of course, when it comes to my family, in particular, you know, little C, that takes precedence. So it was. It was. One of those weekends, it was a very memorable weekend. I hope yours was memorable. I hope you took time to actually remember why we had the long weekend. I know we we say it a lot, we talk about it a lot. Sometimes I think it's just lip service, you know. Sometimes, you know, people will throw a a, a message on Facebook or a meme or or whatever, you know. Remember those, uh, you know, who lost her. I, I sometimes I don't think people actually do that. They just do it just, you know, to to look good or whatever. But I, I do hope that we took time to remember all of those lost fighting for this country. All of those who sacrificed, think about that, sacrificed their own lives for this very country, for the land that we stand upon today. Yes, it's great to have a three day weekend. Yeah, of course it is. I think we will all sign up for a three day weekend. And it's kind of like the unofficial start to summer, right? So we have, you know, people have good times and barbecues and cookouts and everything like that. But it's called Memorial Day for a reason. And I hope that everyone took time to at least just reflect a little bit on the ultimate sacrifices that were made by hundreds of thousands. Of our men and women, for you and I. Anyway, it's, it's not easy to transition from that to something else, but let's just, let's just go. Uh, Wizards yesterday stay alive; they stave off elimination. They get big uh, big games from Westbrook and Beal, of course. What else is new there, right? But they also got a big game from Rory Hachimura who went for 20 points and 13 rebounds. Robin Lopez, another big game. He scored 16 off the bench. And Lopez uh, had a big play that resulted in a pretty big injury uh, for Philly. He In the first quarter, late first quarter, uh, he blocked Joel Embiid's shot. Embiid fell hard to the floor near the baseline. Got up holding his back. Sixers later said that it was a right knee issue. He'll be uh He'll take go under or undergo precautionary tests uh, today. To see the extent of uh, that injury, he left the game, didn't come back. He had just uh, eight points and uh, six rebounds in eleven minutes. With Embiid out, the Sixers they had an eleven point lead in the first quarter. They lost the lead, trailed by one at the break, and then they lost the game. Even with Embiid out, the Wizards still only won by eight. The game was tied at 106 with about four and a half minutes left in regulation. And really, I mean, let's be honest, the win only put off the inevitable. I mean, because the Wizards are going to lose this series eventually. But uh, after the game, you know, Bradley Bill said, hey, we needed the win and we got it.
0: We got to win. You know, the biggest thing is we understand that Joel Embiid is a
1: monster. Uh, you know, they, were, they didn't have him in the second half, which, you know, we have to take full advantage of, unfortunately. But, um, you know, at the same time, you know, we, we knew we could win. You know, we're at home. We don't want them to
3: close us out on this floor. I've never been down 3-0. Um, so, you know, I'd be damned if I get out of here without a win. So, uh, you know, we got one tonight. We got another one in Philly. So let's go do it.
1: They got the win. They avoided their first uh, playoff sweep or getting swept. Since 2007, down the stretch, Washington kind of took the hack-a-shack approach. Or in this case, I guess the hack-a-Ben approach, hack-a-Simmons approach, as in Ben Simmons. Because they repeatedly uh, sent Simmons to the foul line in the fourth quarter, and it, it, for the most part, worked. Because Simmons made just one of two foul shots the final four times, He went to the line. He finished 5 of 11. Now, after the game, uh, head coach Doc Rivers was asked if he thought about taking Simmons off the floor. I didn't think he was scared of the moment. He just didn't make him. So, uh, you know, again, with Ben, we're going to keep him on the floor. Unless you guys want us to bench him the whole game. If anybody wants us to do that, just let me know. Um, And then I'll know you don't know basketball. Well, Coach, I do know basketball. And I know that Simmons is 5 of 20 from the foul line this series. <laughs> he went into the game 0 for 9. And now he is 5 of 20. So, you know, keep on putting the ball in his hands down the stretch and see what happens. Now, the reporter asked I don't know where, what he's talking about benching him for the whole game. I don't think that was the question. The question was. Did he think about putting him on the bench? Did he think about taking Simmons out down the stretch? I don't think anybody would expect Rivers to bench Simmons the whole game. But maybe down the stretch? When the team is clearly sending him to the foul line and he clearly can't make foul shots. So, I don't know. I I can't stand that when a coach insults somebody for just asking a question. It's a legit question. It was a legit question. Did you consider taking him out of the game down the stretch when he was getting fouled? I don't understand why Rivers cops the the attitude, you know. I don't think anybody would expect him to. Nobody said, hey, bench him for the entire game. But down the stretch, you might want to think about it. But go ahead. Go ahead, Doc. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep him in. The game's tight in game, uh, game five tomorrow. Go ahead. Keep him in the game. See what happens. Well, the loss uh, did prevent Philly uh, from sweeping, uh, getting its first sweep in 36 years. Last time they swept an opponent was uh, 1985 against the Bucks. Unfortunately, we had yet another incident involving some moron fan who wanted to be part of the show. And we've been talking about this now for the past couple of weeks. It simply won't end. Uh, yesterday's idiot... Ran onto the court, jumped up and touched the backboard at Capital One Arena. The game was in Washington. Now, it was it was the Wizards' basket, and they were actually bringing the ball up the floor when this dude ran full speed down the main grandstand through the front row seats and onto the floor. Fortunately, he was immediately tackled by security, cuffed and hauled out wearing some ridiculous outfit. Did you see? Like I don't know who dressed this dude. Maybe Ronald McDonald did. He had a bright yellow shirt and bright red pants. He looked why well, he looked like the clown that he actually is. And as he was being taken out of the arena, you know, he's he's trying to play to the crowd. He's pumping his fist to the crowd like, you know, acting like he just did something special. And I was so happy to see and hear the crowd in Washington boo this idiot. They booed him. Didn't give him love. Didn't give him praise. Like he, uh, like he's some cool cat. Look at me. I just ran to the floor. They booed him, which I was happy to see that. Now, uh, Monu- uh, Monumental Sports, in English, which is the parent company of <laughs> – It's going to be a long two hours. Let me tell you something. It was a long weekend. Which is the parent company of the Wizards and the arena said the fan would be banned from the arena forever. And it would also look into pressing charges, which I hope they do. Now this, of course, happened a day after a fan in Boston chucked a water bottle at Kyrie Irving as he was walking off the court. The bottle barely missed Irving, but still that fan, and this is what I love, is what they got to start doing, 21-year-old Cole Buckley of Braintree, Massachusetts, should be brain dead Massachusetts, was arrested and charged with assault and battery by means of a dangerous weapon. He will be arraigned today in Boston Municipal Court. I don't know what the maximum penalty is for that charge right there, but I hope he gets it. I hope he gets it. 21-year-old Cole Buckley of brain-dead Massachusetts. With more on uh, these fans behaving poorly, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj!
4: Well, listen, this is a great cause for concern for the NBA. First of all, players should not be subjected to this, uh, but also it's overshadowing the playoffs. Uh, And so this is certainly a trend that the league wants very much to stop. I think individual teams do also do too. And you're seeing uh, uh, arenas, uh, teams, filing criminal charges against uh, individuals. Uh, The man in Boston last night, they asked Trey Young in New York whether he wanted to file charges against, or wanted to file charges uh, charges filed against the man who spit on him at Madison Square Garden. The hope in the league is that kind of deterrent, not just that you're going to get your tickets taken away or you're going to get banned from an arena, but that you're going to face criminal uh, criminal charges, that, that ultimately is going to stop this. It hasn't yet.
1: Now, the idiot in Boston, and again, uh, I have no problem uh, calling these people idiots. It may seem rude, it may seem brash, but that's the best word I can use to describe him. This idiot in Boston is also subject to a lifetime ban from TV Garden, and I hope he gets it. I hope he gets uh, convicted, I hope he gets banned, I hope he gets everything that is coming to him, 21-year-old Cole Buckley of Braintree, Massachusetts. I can only assume that his name was released because he got arrested, right? Is that that public record? That's in the newspaper, right? And I said this last time. We talked about this last week. That this is what has to happen. These clowns continue. I don't know why they can't figure it out. But they continue to do this. I, I don't know what it's for. I have been I have been to a million games in my life. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but you get the point. Football games, baseball games, basketball. I won't say hockey because you can't, you know. Good luck climbing the glass and getting onto the ice in hockey. I never once, never once, felt the urge. To throw something at somebody or run onto the field slash court. Is it is it just some desperate plea for attention? Is it just is it some some way to, you know, try to go viral, right? You get the video on on Twitter and the interwebs and Look how cool I am! I ran onto the field. I I ran I ran onto the court. At Capital One Arena and made an, uh, a Horses ran out of myself. Like I don't get it. I don't I don't get the draw to it. I don't get the appeal to it. Why you would make a a public spectacle of yourself and think it's cool and think it's funny? I don't understand it. As we've said before, I can almost guarantee in ninety nine point eight percent of the instances there's alcohol involved. But even if there was, I mean, you, you you're not playing with a full deck. If you do if you do something like that, like you already have issues, alcohol just makes the problem worse. So I hope that this clown in Washington gets the entire book thrown at him. I hope this clown in Boston gets the entire book thrown at him. And maybe, just maybe, this will stop. I think players uh should get like free reign. Like if you run onto the field or the court or whatever, that the players should should be allowed to just tee off on you. I mean, just beat the crap out of you. Just let them, seriously. What are you going to do? You, you don't know what the intentions are of these fans. I have no idea. You don't know. The players don't know. People are crazy these days. You get somebody walking out or running onto the field or the court, you don't know if they got a weapon. You don't know if they, what in, you don't know what their intentions are. Like, I wouldn't blame any player from just absolutely cold-cocking somebody who runs onto the court or to the field. Remember a while ago, who was it? Was it, uh, who body slammed the Browns fan? It was, it was a, was it James Harrison? I think it was Harrison. I want to say Greg Lloyd, but that was too far, or too, uh, too long ago. But I remember a browns Steelers game. A Browns fan runs onto the field and Harrison picks him up and body slams him. I think every player should be allowed to do it. Like, just let him go. Let him go. And you can use the defense that, hey, I have no idea what the intentions are of this guy. No clue. So I had to do what I had to do. Like, think about it. Like, what would you do if you're at work and some stranger just goes running through, (laughs) just goes running through your building like a maniac? Like, what would you do? You know, this is their profession. This is what they do for a living. I know it's, oh, they're just playing games, it's, it's sports, but this is their profession. They, they should not have to go to work and deal with these idiots. If somebody comes ripping through these hallways here, acting like a, an idiot, a stranger, I'm, I'm, they're getting clotheslined. They're getting clotheslined, and I'm putting them in a figure four, a figure four leg lock or something to that effect. <laughs> Somebody's going down. I don't get it, man. I I just, I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. So, again, hopefully this is done. I doubt that it is. Hopefully, you know, these fans will get the message. I doubt that they do because fans, they're dumb. There's a small fraction of fans that are just, they're stupid. This is what we get. How long, before we go to break here, how long before government gets involved? Like, like how many times, seriously, how many times does this have to happen before government, either at the state or federal level, gets involved? And and somebody starts talking about passing stricter laws against something like this. Seriously, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Like the only deterrent is is harsher punishment, right? Like the only deterrent is just to, to to make it to get it to a point where you just absolutely positively would never even think about doing something like that. How long? If it keeps up, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if if there if there's legislation if if something gets passed to make the punishment harsher. I hope I hope so. I mean, I hope it ends. But if it doesn't, I hope other people get involved because it's it's, it's got to stop before somebody gets seriously hurt or worse. All right, break time. Got some uh, weather for you coming up here in just a bit. When we come back, oh, we'll talk about those Orioles. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: I think that's a very underrated part of having a three-day weekend. I don't think the short work week that follows gets enough love. right? Because what is uh, Memorial Day and Labor Day, they're both on Monday, right? Everybody's, you know, oh, it's a three-day weekend. Everybody's happy. Everybody's looking forward to the three-day weekend. On the back end of that, you got a four-day work week. I don't think that that's very underrated. Nothing wrong with a four-day work week. I think it should be like it all the time. Four days on, three off. Actually, doesn't some people actually work at, don't they? Like 410s, 412s, something like that. <laughs> I'm not working 412s here. No. No, new. No, not gonna happen. Anyway, uh rush line is open. 301 759 2628. 301 759 2628. Hit me up on Twitter uh, at WCMD Morning Rush. And on the uh, Book of Faces at WCMD Cumberland Radio. Reminder coming up. In the 7 o'clock hour, Adam Bittner of the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette joining the show to talk about uh, the Penguins' uh, first-round flame-out last week and the situation surrounding Robert Morris University dropping uh, its two most successful sports programs, men's and women's hockey, just out of nowhere, just dropped them. I mean, we all know why. It's for money reasons. But uh, Adam Bittner. We'll be on the show next hour. Also a reminder tonight, Nationals baseball right here on this uh, very station. The Nationals trying to snap their uh, five-game slide as they once again uh, take on the Braves. Speaking of sliding, (laughs) the Orioles, uh, they are reaching lows they haven't reached in 33 years. 14 straight losses after yesterday's 3-2 loss to the Twins in 10 innings at Camden Yards, a place where the Orioles have a whopping six wins the entire season. Their 14 straight losses tied for the second-longest losing streak in franchise history. They also lost 14 in a row back in 1954, which happened to be the year they moved from St. Louis to Baltimore. And for those of you who have been around long enough you remember their worst losing streak came 33 years ago when they lost the first 21 games of the 1988 season you talk about getting out of the gate slow how would you like to lose your first 21 games which of course is a record man what can you imagine was well, if you're an Orioles fan you can And I've seen some bad baseball as a Pirates fan. But we never lost 21 games to start a season. Like, you know your team's not going to be good going in. You know your team's going to have issues. You understand that. But for the season to basically be over after the first three weeks, to start out 0-21, that's incredible. So a loss tonight to the Twins would officially be the second longest skid ever for the O's. And, you know, it doesn't really help that they're playing the Twins. Baltimore has lost to Minnesota 16 straight times, which uh, happens to be one away from the Twins' franchise record against one opponent. Uh, They beat the Red Sox 17 straight times from 1965 to 1966. Baltimore's current losing streak, the longest in the majors, Since the Astros lost 15 straight in 2013, O's have lost 21 of 23 overall. 17 and 37 is the record. Worst record in the majors. Closest team to the O's right now is the Diamondbacks. Uh, They sit at 19 and 36. They just snapped a 13-game losing streak of their own over the weekend. It was almost like it was a contest to see who could lose the most games. Of uh, the Orioles, uh, they win by losing. Speaking of losing streaks, the Nationals they've dropped five straight. After yesterday's five-three loss to uh, Atlanta, they are now twenty-one and twenty-nine, and they have fallen seven games behind the Mets in the NL East. So far this season, that's not faring too well in the uh, the East. They are six and ten against division opponents this season. First inning woes continued yesterday giving up 3 runs in the first. Game before that, they gave up 2 in the first to Milwaukee. 2 games before that, two more in the first. You get you get the idea. In the last 5 games, the Nationals have been outscored in the first inning 8 to nothing. Here's manager Davey Martinez after yesterday's loss.
3: We got to get out of first inning. First
1: first inning's hurting us. Um you know, Joe, Joe gave up one hard hit ball, but the walks, you know, the walks, you know, hurt us that inning. And then, uh, then you know, Josh Bell gets us on the board and we started hitting. Uh, once again, you know, um, Darling comes up there, lines out to, to left field. It's just, you know, like I said, just bad luck right there. So, um, I mean, it's the same story every day. I know it sound like a broken record, but
4: we just got to keep, keep playing hard. You know, the walks, you know, a, a, a blue pit, a, a check swing. You know, by Acuna, I mean, uh, you know, but then he settles down and and he gives you, you know, gives you uh, good innings after that.
1: I mean, he was he threw the ball well after that. So um, it's just you know we got to come out. Like I said, we got to start coming out and trying to win that first inning. And uh, I talk about all the time and try to score first. I mean, that's the key for us. Now you already mentioned Joe Ross. Ross uh, walked three batters in that first inning. Two of the three scored. Nats will try to snap that five-game slide tonight. In Atlanta, Steven Strasburg scheduled to take the mound for the Nats. He will opposite uh, Max Fried. Again, catch that game right here on this very station, A uh, pregame, at 650. And it's kind of odd when you look at the Nationals from a hitting standpoint. They lead the National League in hitting. They have a team average of 250. So they're getting guys on base. But they're just not driving them in. And the pitching, which, you know, when's the last time we could say this? Pitching hasn't, it's been subpar. It hasn't been the greatest. And I have to think at this point in the season, you know, June 1st, here we are. I think the Nationals have got to be one of the biggest disappointments so far this season. I, I would think all, all the off-season moves they made, you know, they bolstered the pitching staff back into the rotation got Josh Bell over here who he's starting to heat up a little bit as I said they will lead the national league in hitting I think them sitting right now in dead last in the east that's got to be one of the biggest surprises so far we knew the NL East was going to be competitive and it kind of is but kind of for the wrong reason. <laughs> I thought the East would be competitive because every team would be really really good it's kind of competitive because the division is just average barely above average and it's not a good sign uh, when you are the team in dead last in a barely above average uh, division so it's still early I keep on saying that it's still early but eventually it won't be And then you got to start worrying. All right, one final break and back to wrap up our number one. Stick around, uh, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Uh, Speaking of pucks. (laughs) Oh, we are laughing. We are laughing. At the Maple Leafs.
0: Cruising in. Out front. There's a shot and a miss by Tafoli in the slot. And he looks skyward. He can't believe he missed the goal. Canadians get it back. Suzuki again. Shoots. Score! Perry redirects it in. And the Canadians are up 2-0. That
1: was the call on TSN 690. Montreal rallies from a three games to one deficit. They win three games in a row, including last night's Game 7, They beat Toronto 3-1 to win the series, and they move on. And so the tortured half-century for the Maple Leafs continues. They haven't won a playoff series since 2004. It's the second longest streak in the National Hockey League. They have eight straight losses in series or series clinching games. I mean, think about that for a second. The last eight opportunities they've had to win and advance, and they've lost all of them. And they are the first team ever to lose winner take all, uh, to lose a winner take all game four straight years. (laughs) They haven't won a cup. I don't mean to laugh, but I do. Since 1967, which is the longest, it's a a 54-year championship drought. That's the longest drought in the National Hockey League. Toronto, where they will tell you they invented hockey. Toronto is like, you know, the hub, right? The Maple Leafs. Greatest NHL franchise ever. That's what they'll tell you up there. Like, the, the hockey universe revolves around Toronto and they blow another series. Not just another series, (laughs) but a series to their rival, Montreal. And not just another series, a series in which they led three games to one. Everybody thought this was Toronto's year, right? Because they had such a great regular season. You know, guys like uh, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner who they failed to show up. I I saw somewhere on Twitter. I wish I could find it again. But they had the pre-series predictions from hockey, uh, quote-unquote, experts. From TSN, uh, Sportsnet. And there's like 27, 28 of them. They all... They all picked Toronto to win the series. And they were all wrong. That's amazing. It really is. I mean, just you talk about being long suffering, 1967. I mean, I sit here and I talk about, you know, being a Pirates fan and, and that struggle, not seeing a championship since 1979. Go back 12 years prior to that. The Maple Leafs haven't won a Stanley Cup for as long as the Penguins have been around. Right? Because the expansion year was 1967, right? The last year Toronto won a Stanley Cup (laughs) was the year that the Penguins came into existence. Rob Rossi, who covers the Penguins, up there in the Berg, he has this wonderful stat here. Says Stanley Cup titles in the expansion era. The Canadiens, ten; the Oilers and Penguins, five each; the Islanders and Red Wings, four. Of course, the Islanders won all four of theirs consecutively. Blackhawks, Bruins, Devils, three; Avs, Flyers, Kings, Lightning, two; Blues, Caps, Ducks, Flames, Hurricanes, Rangers, Stars, all have one each. And he says. Not receiving votes, Maple Leafs. The Anaheim Ducks, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, a team that was built and based on a Disney movie. They have more Stanley Cup championships in the expansion era than the Hyde Mighty Maple Leafs. It's amazing. Also last night, great game. Islanders beat the Bruins in overtime 4-3 to three, to tie that series at a game apiece. Tonight, as soon as my webpage turns over, we got one game, Lightning and Hurricanes, Lightning won game one. Chance to take both games on Carolina's home ice and take a 2-0 lead back to Tampa, which would be, of course, uh, not good news for the Hurricanes. Love talking pucks, man. Love it. Again, didn't see too much over the weekend, but I stayed on top of it nonetheless. Golden Knights, Ryan Reeves, by the way, in case you missed it, a former Penguin suspended two games uh, by the league for a terrible takedown uh in their series. Was it uh yeah, it was gonna yeah, first game is Colorado, right? So Reeves is out uh the next two games for the Golden Knights. All right. Reminder coming up next hour, we're going to continue this hockey talk. Well, not immediately, but later on next hour. Adam Bittner from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette will jump on the rush line and talk about the Penguins, another first round collapse, and the Robert Morris University situation. And if you don't know it, you got to tune and listen to it. It's a situation where you have a school, a university, leaders of said university just making. A decision that has everybody going, what? They did what and why? And we're still not even sure why. But just one of those curious decisions that schools make, quite frankly, for the love of money. So Adam Bittner on the rush line next hour. Stick around for that. Stick around for hour number two. Right around the corner, 102.1 FM AM 1230. The all new WCMD.
0: is the morning rush. A
1: reminder, later this hour, Adam Bittner, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, going to talk some pucks on the rush line right now. Let's rock around the region. I want
3: to rock right
1: now. And we'll start with the NBA playoffs, where the Wizards were trying to keep their season alive for at least one more game against the 76ers. Beal, cuts to
2: his left, driving around Simmons, hangs in the air, in the right corner, Hachimura for three,
0: it's there! It is there! is there, and the Wizards might just be there. A two-possession game, they lead by six with 40 seconds
1: left. The Wizards were there. The call on Federal News Radio, 122-114 the final. Wizards win to send the series back to Philly. Of course, they're still down three games to one. Russell Westbrook, his 12th career playoff triple-double, 19 points, 21 boards, 14 assists. Bradley Beal had 27 points, Gay five uh, tomorrow night in philly in major league baseball the orioles hosted minnesota yesterday trying to snap their 13 game losing streak they did not
0: and a high fly deep to right field santander back and it's gone polanco with his fifth of the year and the lead in the 10th is two The call on Bally
1: Sports North. Twins score two runs in the top of the 10th, then hold off the O's for a 3-2 win. DJ Stewart had an RBI hit in the bottom of the 10th to make it 3-2, but he was eventually stranded at third as the tying run. Baltimore has lost 21 of its last 23 games. 14 in a row. Tied for the second longest losing streak in franchise history. They lost 14 straight in 1954, the first year they moved from St. Louis to Baltimore. Of course, longest losing streak, 1988, when they opened the season uh, 0-21. And they are now a Major League Worst 17-37. and Elsewhere, the Nationals hosted the Braves yesterday, trying to snap a, a slightly smaller a four-game losing streak. Uh, They did not.
0: The pitch is lined softly the left center field. That's down for a hit. That'll score two. And Almonte all the way around to third. A two-run single on an 0-2 count, and the Braves lead it three to nothing.
1: The call on Bally Sports South. Atlanta scored three runs in the first inning off of Joe Ross, and went on to win five to three. Ronald Acuna Jr. hit his major league tying 16th homer of the season. For the Braves, Josh Bell, a two-run homer for Washington. And the Royals and Pirates kicked off a mini two-game series in Kansas City.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah, that was hit pretty well. Breaking ball drilled to right, and this one is gone. Alberto Mondesi hits a two-run homer off Dwayne Underwood, Jr., and gives the Royals a 5-2 lead in the fifth.
1: The call on the Pirates Radio Network, 7-3 the final. Casey gets the win. The Royals have won 10 of 16 to get back to the 500 mark after an 11-game losing streak dropped them four games under the 500 mark. Brian Reynolds homered and drove in two for the Bucks, who have now lost two straight. So the Bucks have lost two straight. Nationals five straight. The Orioles 14 straight. You get a losing streak. You get a losing streak. You get a losing streak. We all get losing streaks here on the Morning Rush. And in high school basketball, the roster has been announced for the 2021 North-South All-Star Classic in Charleston. Pendleton County's Josh Alt and Bailey Thompson both were named to the North squad. Pendleton head coach Ryan Lambert will serve as a coach on the North team. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. There's also a ton of High school baseball and softball sectional playoff action today. Way too much for me to go over. You got Kaiser in action today. You got Frankfurt in action. I mean, it's it's all the Hampshire's. It's all over the place. So we'll do our best tomorrow uh, to bring you the scores and results of today's playoff action. It's so weird to have sports still going on, right? June 1st. Because most most of the time, the sports are over by graduation, right? As I said last hour, you know, a very busy weekend for me. My son graduated uh, Sunday. Speaking of which, take the moment right now to congratulate all of the graduating class of 2021. Frankfurt was Sunday. I don't know when. Was Kaiser Sunday as well? I'm not quite sure. Or this weekend. But I know Allegheny, Fort Hill, Hampshire. I mean, they're all over the past week or so graduated. So I just want to say congratulations to the entire graduating class of 2021. It hasn't been easy. Last year, year and a half, you guys have had to deal with challenges that none of us could ever fathom, right? They, You've had to deal with things that I know in my lifetime, I've never had to deal with. Certainly not way back when I was a senior in high school. But the important thing is, y'all made it through, right? That's 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 the key. And y'all are moving on to bigger and better things, and we certainly hear the Morning Rush wish you the best of luck. So graduating class of 2021, whatever school you belong to, congrats, uh, best wishes, best of luck. It's crazy, man, when you think about everything that's gone down the last year, year and a half. And I know, right, because my son, right, what he went through, his his friends and teammates went through, his fellow students went through, and how difficult it was, how hard it was to navigate the last year, year and a half. So many things put on hold, so many things like, – The uncertainty of everything was what really just kind of got you down after a while because you just never knew from day to day what was going to happen, right? You went through it with uh, class. You know, would they ever get back to in-person learning? Were they going to stay virtual all the time? Of course, things are different depending on what side of the river you were on. With sports, we're going to have a season, not a season, going to have a game, going to have a meet, Going to have a match or no? Is it canceled? Is it postponed? You know, extracurricular activities, same way. Is this going to happen? Is this not? I mean, every day is just like, it seemed like we were on edge, not knowing what each day was going to bring, what was going to be called off, like what was the next disappointment down the road. That's what it felt like. All the way up to graduation, all the way up to graduation, the uncertainty was there. Worried about getting quarantined, worried about not being able to attend graduation. Worried about the weather. Thank the Lord the rain held off on Sunday. Because they postponed Frankfurt's graduation from Saturday to Sunday. Because Saturday's weather was sketchy. Sunday's not that much better. Cloudy, cold, it's like fifty-five degrees. Fifty-five degrees on May 30th. Ridiculous. But got it in. I, I think at the end of it, you know, we were happy. We celebrated, but at the same time, I think there was a collective, right? Just a collective man got through it. So congrats to all of the uh, seniors moving on, regardless of what you're doing, going to college, uh, to the service, uh, going to the workforce, trade, whatever. Uh, You made it through one of the roughest patches that very few high school seniors Juniors have ever had to go through. So, congrats once again. All right. Um, this tennis story is really just bizarre. And I've tried to I, I, I try to pay attention to it because I don't I don't, admittedly I don't follow tennis all that much. But I do know the name Naomi Osaka, right? One of the best players in the world. She withdrew from the French Open yesterday, saying that she's going to take some time away following this controversy from Sunday. Because on Sunday, she said that she wasn't going to take part in either pre- or post-match media uh, press conferences, right? And she actually got fined. And she was even threatened with harsher punishments for skipping her mandatory media obligations, right? And so yesterday she decided that that was it, that she was just going to drop out. She said, quote, she uh, never wanted to be a distraction, end quote. And that her, you know, dropping out was the best thing for the tournament and the players and for her well being. And this kind of sparked even more controversy. Because when, when the news first came out Sunday that she was not going to meet with the media, and you can say, well, geez, slow down on industrial. My goodness, it's only 35. Hear that or get her muffler check, one of the two. I understand a lot of people don't like the media. I get it. A lot of players, coaches would rather not deal with the media, but the media has a purpose, the media has a job, regardless of what you think of the media over the last, I don't know, four years. That's beside the point. But there's a purpose there. And these players and coaches do have an obligation to take questions, to field questions, and they can answer the questions however they they feel. So when she announced that she was not going to, you know, Fulfill those obligations, she was fined by the French Open, and then all four of the majors came out like in in unison, in unity, and said if she doesn't do it, that you know she could be put like she could be for like if she was not going to address the media in future major events, that she may be banned from those events. That that's, that's the point where it got, and of course. You know, tennis governing bodies took a bunch of heat. And then it came yesterday that she wasn't going to do it anymore. Like She's just done with the French Open. And so now, as with most instances, people are, like, taking sides. You're either slamming, you're either taking her side, and you're slamming, you know, the Tennis Association, whatever it is, the WTA, is that what it is? For their statements, or you're like, hey, you get into this sport, you get into professional sports, you have an obligation to the media, and you gotta you gotta fulfill it. That comes with the territory, and and, and then and then the blurriness where the line gets blurred is we're talking about somebody's mental well being, right? We're talking about somebody's mental health here, because she admits that she doesn't. Do well in front of crowds. She doesn't do well in the in the media scrums. Okay, that she handles it differently than most. So after that comes out, people were you know like man, well then she shouldn't be, she shouldn't be forced to do it. That, right? If 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 she she can't handle it, you know, she says she gets really nervous and she finds it stressful to always try and, and this is this is a quote. This is her quote here. Quote, I am not a natural public speaker and get huge waves of anxiety before I speak to the world's media. I get really nervous and find it stressful to always try and engage and give the media the best answers I can, end quote. Which is why she said that she wasn't going to talk to the media. She finds it stressful, anxiety, but which I get it. Not, you know, not everybody's comfortable in front of a microphone. But it still comes with the territory. If you want to be a professional tennis player, that's something that you have to do. Not to sound cold or callous or whatever, but again, that comes with the territory. I understand it. I feel for her. But at the same time, as a member of the media, mm, you kind of got to do it. So, I, I kind of see both sides. I, 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 I'm on both sides of the fence. Here, which I know is kind of a cop-out, but that's just... I get it. Uh, Serena Williams was asked about the, uh, the situation.
3: I feel like uh, I wish I could give her a hug because I know what it's like. Like I said, I've been in those positions. We have different personalities, and people are different. Not everyone is the same. I'm thick. You know, other people are thin. So... Everyone is different, and everyone handles things differently. So, you know, you just have to let her handle it the way she wants to in the best way that she thinks she can. And um, that's the only thing I can say. I think she's doing the best that she can.
1: Uh, Senior columnist for ESPN, uh, Howard Bryant, with his take uh, on the situation.
3: I think it's just a horrible scene for everybody. I think everybody lost here, and I think that Naomi Osaka's mental health and her well-being is obviously the most important thing i think we knew that this was going to be an incredibly important time period for her as a player she does not play well on this surface she had had difficulties playing on clay and on grass going forward We we also knew too that she's going to be defending her u.s open championship and then also the olympics are being held in her home country and on top of all of that, we've got the year anniversary of what took place last year with the anniversary of George Floyd, the anniversary of Jacob Blake and her really being front and center as a as a national figure in the social justice movement. So she's under an enormous amount of pressure. And for the reaction for the Grand Slam board to essentially say, not only are we going to fine you and we're going to sanction you for this tournament, but all four Grand Slams are going to gang up on you and essentially tell you that we're going to suspend you from all the tournaments if you don't comply? There's a massive, massive overreach on their part. You simply just can't muscle people like this. You can't do this and still say that you care about the athletes.
1: Now, see, I call bull on that. I call bull. Sorry, Howard, I call bull. They they didn't muscle anybody in anything. They simply said, as a professional tennis player, you have an obligation to meet with the media. If if your mental health, or your mental status doesn't allow you to do that, maybe you shouldn't be playing in the first place. Maybe you need to, like, like she did yesterday, and the right thing to do is to step away from all of it, right? Just all of it. I, I don't I don't buy that they don't care or they're not worried about her situation. But they still have Grand Slams to to run. They still have these major tennis tournaments to run. And how do you look at these other players and say, you have to meet with the media, but she doesn't because of whatever she's going through. If she's going through that much, then maybe she just needs to step away completely, like she did yesterday. I, f- I, I get it. I understand it. it, it it's it's a, it's a sticky situation. It's not an easy thing to navigate. But if everybody else has to do it, regardless of the situation, then you have to too. I think it is completely possible to feel compassion for her and feel for her during this struggle. But at the same time, understand that the Grand Slam board, they have a job to do as well. I I see both sides, for real. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how long she's out. We'll see. Hopefully, she gets better. Hopefully, she can overcome the anxiety and everything like that. And she gets back, because she's, from what I know, again, I don't follow tennis that much, but she's a hell of a tennis player. We'll keep an eye on it. All right, stick around. Coming up next, Adam Bittner, Pittsburgh Post Gazette, on the rush line talking pucks. It's coming up next, right here at WCMD.
0: You're listening to The Morning Rush with Tony C. Boy's got a mouth like a cannon, always shooting it off. On 102.1 FM and AM 1230.
1: Morning Rush rolls on on this Tuesday morning. Tony C. in the big chair. Glad to have you on board. Going to talk a little pucks right now. Joining me on the Rush line. You can follow him on Twitter. I got to ask you, is it a hard G or a soft G? Is it Fuji Master 24 or Fugi? You had it the first time. Fuji Master 24. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette's Adam Bittner. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. What's going down, man?
2: Not much. How are you?
1: Great I am, to talk to you. Yeah, no complaints. No complaints. Hope you had a good, a good holiday weekend. Uh, first off, as a former newspaper guy myself, a long time ago, I noticed in your bio you list yourself as a digital sports producer. What exactly is that?
2: It's a fancy title for blogger. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I do. I do a little. I do a little bit of everything for the Post Gazette. I cover um, you know all of our pro and, and college teams. Um, occasionally I'll dabble in some, some high schools. Um, I just, you know, kind of supplement our coverage in all areas because we have obviously great beat writers at the Post Gazette. Um, so, you know, my job is just to make, make, make their lives easier, kind of, you know, help out when times are busy. So, you know, during, during Penguin season, you know, Penguins playoff season, which has become rather brief in the last (laughs) three years, you know, usually I'll hop over there and do some Penguin stuff. Um, you know, Steelers. Grab anything people are talking about so our writers can talk to the players and bring you the stories that, uh, that you want to hear about.
1: So you are a jack-of-all-trades, so to speak.
2: That's, that's what they would call me, sure. <laughs> all
1: right. Uh, let, let's talk some pucks. Uh, last Wednesday was like Black Wednesday for hockey in Pittsburgh. Penguins get bounced from the playoffs in the first round again. But I don't even think that was the most troubling news of the day. Because Robert Morris University, seemingly out of nowhere, announced it was dropping its very successful men's and women's hockey teams. Give me your thoughts on that. Why in the world did they do that?
2: Um, they say it's for cost reasons. Um, listen, we know we know college hockey programs are expensive. Um, that's why not many schools have them. Um, if you look at um, you know the other schools in. Robert Morris is in the Big South for football and the Horizon League for basketball. None of those schools have hockey programs, and even in the old NEC, which was their you know old conference until the past year, um, the only the only other team that the only other school that had a hockey team was Merrimack. So um, you know that's that's one side of the argument is that you know lots of schools Robert Morris Robert Morris size don't have um, don't have hockey teams but the other side of the argument is lots of small schools do um and you know so you think about just the the frozen four that was in Pittsburgh a few few weeks ago um you know schools like Minnesota Duluth are our hockey powerhouses Minnesota State um you know those were the teams that were St. Cloud State those were the teams that were at PPG Bates Arena so um you know the we really haven't gotten a full explanation, but that was that was more or less what Robert Morris said, that it was kind of a cost situation.
1: And, and that's the crazy thing because, like you said, they just hosted the, the Frozen Four. The women's team just won the conference, right? And they made the, the tournament. And, and you mentioned yeah. the other sports. Yeah. Like, football isn't really that good, let's be honest. Basketball had a good run this past year, but before that, eh. So this is really, when you're talking about athletics at RMU, the hockey teams kind of shine the brightest, and they just basically put that light out.
2: Absolutely, I you know I think there's lots of people that, that know Robert Morris primarily as a hockey school. I think, um, you know, I think locally people get excited about you know the, the basketball team when it's good and when it's going to the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, I think you know if it wasn't for if it wasn't for the pandemic, they you know they would have got gotten, gotten a shot at 16 seed. Um, you know, last year or 2020. Um, and they've, they've moved up into a new conference, so I think there's lots of excitement and reason for excitement throughout this uh, basketball program. But, you know, it, it's just like, you know, these these schools I was naming before, Minnesota State, Saint Cloud State. If you know them for one thing, you know them for hockey, and I feel like outside of Pittsburgh, um, that's the case for a lot of teams. Because so I think the basketball team kind of just gets folded in with a ton of other mid-majors that you see around March Madness time, um, the teams that have hockey schools are, are known as hockey schools. And I think Robert Morris was in that category, It's not quite as successful, obviously, as some of those Minnesota schools I just named.
1: It, and I kind of likened it uh, last week during one of my shows, and maybe a little more extreme. It was almost like like if West Virginia came out and said, "Ah, we're dropping football," like that. that when you think about sports and the Mountaineers, like that's that's it. Not, not no offense to Bob Huggins and, and his group. But that's it's what it reminded me of, like like a school known for one thing in particular saying, "All right, we're done with it." It just didn't make any sense to me. Now, you wrote a piece for the PG last week, great piece by the way, and you talked with you. you talked with some RMU players. What's the feeling there among them, the players, coaches, etc.? I mean, they got to be gut punched right now.
2: Yeah. So there's kind of two layers to, to the situation. Obviously, you know, like any. Um, students that, that see their program cut, they're upset on the surface level. You know, anybody would be in the situation. Um, but I think you know a lot of these a lot of these hockey players are you know they play juniors. They come to college a little bit later. They're already in their 20s. They're not, you know, 17-, 18-year-old freshmen. They're 20-, 20, 21-year-old freshmen. So there's a level of maturity there. Um, so, you know, they they understand the business, right? They they understand that, okay, it's, it's a COVID year. We understand that you're cutting our programs. Um, the way Robert Morris has handled the, this is, is kind of a second level that's really upset them because, uh, you know, the, the season ended in March for both of these teams. Um, Robert Morris could have said at that time, hey, we're cutting your program, and that would have made it really much easier for them to find new programs, new teams to play for. Um, but now doing this in late May, and with with you know the extra year of eligibility that's been granted by the NCAA, there were already so many players in the transfer portal for the last two months. Um, so it's going to be hard for a lot of these players to find new homes. There's just not a lot of scholarship money left, um, and, and I think the players are, are – you know, obviously upset that their program is being cut, number one, but number two, um, they're upset that, that they weren't given their best chance to find a new home. Um, and uh, like we were talking about before, there's not as many college hockey programs, which means there's not as many um, degree programs, you know, for players. So I, I talked to one player. She was a biomedical engineering major. Um, there's only one or two or three other schools in the entire NCAA Division One that offer the things. Um, that she would have been studying, and she said, you know, if this had happened a year ago, I might have been put into, into a position where I had to choose between my sport and, and, and my studies. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's an impossible choice for, for any college athlete, I feel like.
1: Yeah, and we're talking about what? Uh, is, is it 55 total uh, players total kind of being left high yeah, and dry right now?
2: There are 55 players that um, are either, you know, had, had been in the program or were committed to the program. Um, Robert Morris will honor their scholarships academically, um, and they do still have club hockey. But again, um, you know, if you want to play Division One hockey, there's very few options, and um, especially on the women's side. The, some of the women I talked to them about, you know, what other options outside Division One they might have. Um, you know, they said that Division Three hockey and women's is, is not nearly as competitive as Division One, and um, you know the one player I talked to said she would probably have have just quit uh, rather than play Division Three. So, um, you know, it's it, it's kind of a tough situation for these athletes. That that you know, it, Robert Morris in their statement, they kind of made it sound like, oh, we're going to take care of everyone. I think that's a lot easier said than done. Right,
1: right. Talking some hockey here with Adam Bittner, digital sports producer for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, on the rush this morning. Now, you mentioned kind of the way the university has handled this I read in your story that they delivered the news with a zoom call right like a 15 minute zoom call and they muted the players mics so they couldn't even ask any questions I I can't think of anything worse than that
2: yeah yeah I mean that's that's you know that's what the players who were on the call told me um you know I I kind of posed that question to Robert Morris and, and hadn't really heard anything as of now but um yeah it's 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 difficult and you know the, the the zoomification of of these types of things. I think uh, you know I kind of fear is, is something we might see into the future. Um, you know, just even in professional sports, or are they going to lo- open the locker rooms up again ever? Um, mm. You know, I, I feel you know we've had all, just all kinds of instances just in the past week of um, you know players did not appear after the game um, up here in Pittsburgh. You know, Tristan Jerry after um, after game I believe it was game five and game six did not appear on the Zoom call. Um, Will Craig, who made that big gap for the Pirates um, yeah. at first base against the Cubs, um, he didn't appear to answer for that. And I, you know, I think this might be part of a pattern that we see moving forward.
1: Is there a push among students, players, alumni to somehow save the hockey teams at Robert Morris? I mean, is that a possibility at all?
2: Um, I, they've, they've started a Change.org position, uh, petition. The last time I, um, the last time I looked at it. it, had about ten thousand signatures. Um, they're going to try. I think, you know, they're still in kind of the formative stages of planning just because, you know, all of them were so gobsmacked by the news in the first place. None of them were really expecting it. Um, so, you know, I don't know that they've really done all the organization that might be required. Um, but I know a lot of players have talked about, for example, um, if they'd known that the, the program was in trouble, um, alumni would have, you know, found ways to raise some funds if, if the school had just been kind of, kind of up front and said, hey, we need to raise this amount of money to keep this thing going. Um, so I think you know there's there's a chance that we could see um, you know some of that materialize in the next couple
1: of months. Adam Bittner of the Pittsburgh Post Gazette on the rush this morning. Now let's uh, let's move up a couple levels uh, to the Penguins. And you mess you mentioned Tristan Jari, and we'll start right there. Penn's getting bounced by the Islanders in six games. Uh, he did not have the best of series, and that's putting it lightly. Um, was it as simple as Jari just not being good enough? In your opinion, or do the problems with the Pens right now run deeper with this team? I mean, we're talking about three straight first-round exits uh, for this team.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think I saw a statistic at one point the other night that over the course of the series, um, you would have expected statistically Jari to give up um, about eight fewer goals. I don't know how many teams can overcome, you know, an ex- expected eight goals higher than, than what the expected goals is. So. Um, I don't want to say it's completely his fault. I think there's, there's some guys, you know, Sidney Crosby didn't score a ton of points in the series. Um, I think he would have liked to see some guys, different guys step up. But, listen, that's also the nature of a playoff series. If you if you go down the score sheet for any one series on either of the two Stanley Cup runs that the Penguins have had recently, um, you know, Sidney Crosby and you know, of getting Malcolm, and we're not dominating every game, you know, game in, game out. Um, you had guys like, you know, Patrick Hornquist stepped up, um, Carl Hagelin, the HPK line. Um, different guys stepped up at different times. I think in this series, you saw Jeff Carter. Um, you know, I think he scored uh, four goals to lead four. the entire series. Yep. That's kind of how things work in the playoffs, is that different guys step up at different times. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really hard to, to separate the goaltending, um, you know, from the results when, when you're giving up that many more goals um, than you probably should have.
1: Now Crosby, I, I think, top of my head, he had uh, just one goal and one assist in the entire series, does he get maybe because of what he's accomplished, how great he's been, maybe too much of a pass at a time like this from you know the fans and the media alike? Because he, he actually admitted in, in the the post game presser that he didn't do enough, he didn't make enough big plays. Uh, should there be more, be a little more pressure, a little more blame pointed at him for what happened this past series?
2: Yeah, I mean, anytime, anytime something like this happens, you, you look to the superstars, and um, you know, I think you can make an argument that, that given the way this team is played the last, you know, couple of playoff runs. Um, you really would have wanted to see more from Sidney Crosby. Um, you know, I just, in, in the grand scheme of things, when you're adding up the math, um, how does how does that balance out in terms of, of who's what's fault? I think, um, you know, I, I think something, you saw Brian Russ score goals. You saw um, Jake Ensel get on the board there in game six. Um, you know, there's no excuse when you when you score three goals in 30 minutes and have three different leads. Um, to kind of give up three goals in that sequence in Game Six, um, you know, just uh, it, it was it was kind of stunning to watch Jari um, kind of fail in, the, in that three minute span that the decided the game. Because once you give once you give the Islanders a two goal advantage, it's going to be really hard for anyone to score. Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Mario Lemieux in his prime, because that's just the game that the Islanders play. Um, so you know, I, I think in some ways the way Jari played kind of affected everyone else as well.
1: Put yourself in Mike Sullivan's shoes, a place that I would not want to be right now. Would you make the switch? Would you have pulled Jari after either goal number four or especially after goal number five? I know DeSmith wasn't there. He was hurt. I get it. But I would have made the switch. What about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, right? You know, we haven't seen Maxim Legacy before. Um, He was the guy that was on the bench. Um, You know, I think he played the last game of the season, but... You know, that was against the, the, the Buffalo Sabres, and, you know, they're one of the worst teams in hockey. Right. So I don't know how much you can take away from that. Um, Mike Sullivan knows more about his players than we do, and I think, um, you know, there's also a level where this is, this is what he's done his entire career here. Um, you know, on those Stanley Cup runs, he stood by his goalies. Um, you know, even, even if they had some bad games, um, the only goalie switch he ever made was from Marc-Andre Fleury in the middle of the 17 run. Um, you know, back to back to Matt Murray, uh, but other than that, he wasn't alternating goalies pretty much at all in the playoffs. So this was kind of in keeping with his mo. And um, you know, I think there's probably a belief within that organization that if if Tristan Jari can't step up in that situation, then you want to see you want to see a, a complete failure, um, kind of the way it was, so that you can make those decisions about how to make this team better moving forward. You want to know what you have in a guy, um, and you want to know that. that He's just not capable of stepping up. And, um, yeah, I just I, I don't know that it would have gone any better um, had you put in a, 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 a pretty much a rookie completely green.
1: A few more minutes here with Adam Bittner of the uh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette on the rush this morning. Uh, is Mike Sullivan's job in jeopardy?
2: I don't think so. Um, you know, like, again, it, it, we don't really know because we have a new front office that, that, you know, we haven't really seen operate and we haven't seen their vision kind of play out. Um, you know, there's an argument to be made that, uh, the game that Mike Sullivan likes to play, the, the, the fast up and down, uh, game, you know, having mostly fast guys and, um, you know, not wasting a lot of roster spots on, um, you know, big, heavy skaters and hitters and, um, you know, that, that, that type of game may be in a low Ebb or going into a low Ebb. There's been a lot of teams lately that have succeeded by kind of playing a heavier game. Um. I think there's a possibility that, that you know management might ask him to adapt and say, "Hey, this is what we want. We want to play a heavier game. You know, either get on board or you know we'll we'll have to find someone else." I think that's I think that's, that's that might be some of the math. Uh, but I think he's going to get a chance to, to show that he can adapt um, and and show that he can change the, the Penguins game up a little bit. Um, you know, and then if if he can't, then then, um, then I think they might have to have a different conversation. But I think he's he's earned the right. Um, to show whether he can adapt or not.
1: Now, as usual, when something like this happens, uh, Pittsburgh, Twitter, Pittsburgh fan bases, fandom, they went absolutely nuts. Fire this guy, fire that guy, get rid of this guy, unload this guy. It, it never changed. I, I guess every big-time sports city is like that. Do they even need to make that many big moves? I, I saw Colin Dunlap say that big changes are coming. I even said it myself, that big changes are coming but outside of Jari, they really didn't play that terribly against the Islanders. I thought they outplayed him for most of the series. Should they just stay status quo and maybe make a few tweaks here and there and go forward?
2: I mean, that's what they've done in the past couple of years, and, and you've, you've kind of seen the results. Um, I, I just uh, – the question I ask in that situation is, well, compared to what? What is the alternative here? Um, are you going to move on from Evgeny Malkin? Are you going to move on from Chris Letang? If you do, where are you going to find that production were um, you guys that, that have that that type of talent? I think you know Malkin missed a, a large portion of the season, so his stats really aren't impressive. But uh, before he got hurt, he he looked as good as he's ever been. Um, and, and those players just don't grow on trees. There's right. not a. I, I looked at the unrestricted free agent list the other day, and I saw two players that scored 20 goals this year. Uh, one of them was Alex Ovechkin, and I'm I'm not sure that that guy <laughs> is coming here. No. So. Uh. Um, you know, it, it, I, I don't think there's a lot in the market. I don't think that they have the assets on this team to kind of move them without hurting the team in other areas. It, it, it's just hard for me to imagine where, you know, if, if they have major changes, where where similar talent is going to come from. Um, and I, I think it's kind of a pipe dream to imagine that, that you can move on from Amalka and Alatang, maybe both of them, um, and just build around a you know, will-be 34-year-old Sidney Crosby and expect that that's going to be the core of a a Stanley Cup team Um, so you know in some ways it's I feel like that just playing out the string with these guys no matter what um, it's kind of your best route for now Um, you know unless some unbelievable deal to to get a a great player um, presents itself.
1: Now they'll have to move on from somebody because the expansion draft is coming up the Seattle Kraken have to fill out their roster. First off, what do you think about the name Kraken?
2: I think it's pretty great. I think it's very on brand. I like the uh, I like the team colors. I think Seattle's kind of going for a, a Pittsburgh vibe there, where, where all the, the the teams share the same uh, colors. Um, so yeah, I like it.
1: Who do you think the Penguins leave unprotected for that draft? If you had to throw a couple names, I'm think I saw somebody mention like Jason Zucker or Marcus Pedersen. What about you?
2: Yeah, I think. I think in, in some cases that might be a, a case of people who are just kind of wishing players that they would like to move on from into the expansion draft. Um, but, you know, there's a reason people are mentioning them too, right? You know, Jason Zucker's it, it was expected to make a lot bigger impact on this team than he did. Um, you know, getting his money off the books might, might be helpful. So um, you know, I, I, I think it will be interesting to see which, which direction they go there. You're right. You know, someone's going to be leaving this group. Um, you know, and I, I think I'd be surprised if it was something like a, a Jake Gensel or a, a Brian Rust or or a John Marino. I think those guys are going to be, um, you know, cornerstones. And, um, you know, that's why I think maybe, you know, a guy like Zucker makes sense, um, even though, you know, it's just like any time people say, well, who do you want to trade? They'll usually pick the players that they feel like are underachieving the most and, um, you know, so I think the, the logic works
1: both ways there. Or how about McCann, who has zero goals in 12 playoff games? Uh, last thing, now I'll let you go. I know it's a long, drawn-out, tired topic in Pittsburgh, but I want to get your take on it. I believe the Penguins have not been the same since Marc-Andre Fleury left town. And I call it the curse of the flower. Now, I don't blame the Pens for doing what they did at the time. I think most teams would have done that. But hindsight being what it is, it was a terrible decision. Do you think the Pens would be in a much better spot now? Would they have fared better, had more success over the past three years if he was still in town?
2: Um, I'm going to go with with no on that one, just because I think we could kind of reach the expiration date on um, you know having those four guys be the the core four, um, just because he had so much money tied up in them against the salary cap um, that it's kind of really hard to to, to kind of build a team around that when you have so much money and when you have young goaltenders coming up like the penguins did at the time, um, you know, it, it, yeah, sure. It's easy to look back now and say, Tristan Jari hasn't performed, Matt Murray hasn't performed the way you would have wanted them to. Um, but if you had Marc-Andre Fleury, there's names that you would have not had in that dressing room that, that might've made a, that have made big differences. And that have uh, looked good at times and even, um, you know, contract extensions, Brian Russ, Jake Kensel, would the money have been there for those guys? Um, had Marc Andre Fleury still been in the room? I'm not sure. Um, so, you know, I think the Penguins got really lucky in those two, two years of playoff runs that you had guys like Connor Sherry, Brian Rust, who were making almost nothing, right. but were making big contributions and scoring big goals. Um, that's, that's kind of what the Penguins would have needed had they kept Marc Andre Fleury. They would have needed to continue developing young players that could come up and play on very cheap contracts, um, to be able to afford all of those luxuries. I think, Mark Andre Fleury was a luxury item, and I think um, you know coaching up the goaltenders a little bit better, and um, you know having them in a a better frame of mind would have um, you know been preferable to to kind of bringing him back and um, costing yourself players that that have been you know kind of crucial to your success um, in the years since.
1: All right, Adam Bittner, digital sports producer, Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Fantastic hockey talk. I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the time. And maybe as the season gets closer, it's going to be here around the corner. Before we know it, we'll get you back on and talk about the upcoming season. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah,
2: thanks a lot, Tony. It's been fun.
1: All right. There he is, Adam Bittner, Pittsburgh Post. Is that digital sports producer? I now know what it is. I I want to be a digital sports producer. I guess I kind of am here on the show. I just produce uh, vocally instead of digitally. I don't know. All right. More of the Morning Rush coming up here in just a bit. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Many thanks once again to Adam Bittner, digital sports producer, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hopped on the Rush line just moments ago, talking some pucks, some hockey. Very nice. If you missed any of that interview, Uh, It'll be on the podcast page later today. Before we get out of here, coincidentally, we're talking about the Robert Morris University situation. May 26th, they cut the men's and women's hockey programs, the two most successful sports programs at the university. Story was released overnight here by DK Pittsburgh Sports. A Jared, or is it Gerard Pruger? that the decision to eliminate the hockey teams was made without a vote of the school's board of trustees. According to DK Pittsburgh Sports, the decision was made, per their sources, entirely by Morgan O'Brien, the board's chairman, and school president Chris Howard those two made the call unilaterally no information was given out before then no vote was made no consensus of any kind when the when they told everybody about it the the rest of the the board of trustees they did it over a 10 minute zoom call in which Howard took no questions from anybody in the session we and, and, and we talked about that with Adam. About how whenever, you know, so that that's kind of like that, okay, that really happened, right? That really happened. They announced the decision and didn't take any questions or anything. Says one source within the AD, the athletic department, said it was basically done under the cover of night. It was gutless, shameless. Kevin Colbert, who is the general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers resigned over the Memorial Day weekend. He was a member on that board, the RMU Board of Trustees. He resigned because he didn't approve of that decision. And in this story, it says, according to the sources, that the board wasn't even made aware that any move regarding the hockey programs was even being considered. They knew nothing about it. One of the major business partners, the Penguins, who worked very closely with Robert Morris to bring the the Frozen Four to Pittsburgh just this past year, they didn't know about it. So what what this story is saying is that two people, the board of trustees chairman Morgan O'Brien. And the school president, Chris Howard, made the decision all by themselves to eliminate the men's and women's hockey programs at Robert Moore's, according to this story. That if, if true, that's amazing. According to the school's website, uh, the board is made up of trusted community and business leaders including many prominent alumni who agreed to serve voluntarily in three-year terms. Kevin Colbert said, I'm out, I'm done. If true, that is, boy, that takes some you-know-what. To make that kind of decision without even consulting the board of trustees or even letting them know that anything was in the works. By the way, a GoFundMe account has been opened up by Breanne McLaughlin, a two-time Olympic silver medalist goaltender, which shows $322,000 has been contributed. They're, 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 the goal was 500 dollars to try to save those hockey teams at RMU. Got to pay attention to that one, man. Even if you don't like hockey, that's drama right there. Even if you don't like the game, If this is true, those two people all by themselves said, ah, we're getting ready to hockey. Forget anybody else's opinion. That. Whoo. Anyway, show's over. Done. Enjoy the rest of your day. The man is coming up next Tri-State today. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. Quickly, I am done. Bye.